Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of Greenwich Mind Time, a new podcast where we will be inviting students and staff to join us in opening up the conversation surrounding mental health. My name is Emma Dowley, I'm a third year languages and international relations student at the University of Greenwich and I'm also the events coordinator for Mind Society, which is a student-led group dedicated to creating an open and safe space to chat about mental health. Today I'm joined by Dr Louise Owusu Kwarteng. So first of all, welcome Louise. Thank you, thanks, thank you very much for um, inviting me to do this Emma. Um, would you like to introduce yourself before we get started? Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Louisa Usukwateng. I am a programme leader for sociology. Um, I'm an associate professor in, in sociology as well and director of undergraduate research. Um, yeah, and I've been at Greenwich for quite a long time. Now I'm a keen Nottingham Forest supporter. And yeah, I like to just live. <laughs> Great, thank you. And thank you for joining me today on our first ever episode. Um yeah, that's great. Now, the topic that we're going to be discussing today is black mental health and the relationship between mental health and racism, because black people in Britain mm. experience some mental health problems and mental health treatment quite differently to white people. Mm. So, for yeah. example, if you're black, you're 40 percent more likely to access treatment through a police or criminal justice route, and you're less likely to receive psychological therapies such as counselling or CBT. So... Louise, mm. how do you, I was just wondering, how do you feel these statistics compare with your experiences as a programme leader and personal tutor um, at the university? Yeah, I mean, the statistics are very stark. I'm not going to lie about that. And I think it, it, I can say, I'd, I'd verify them because, you know, you are very right in the sense that people, there is a tendency for if a person gets arrested and, you know, they're sort of like showing some violent tendency or whatever, you know, if they don't get sent to prison, there is a very real chance that they will be assumed that it is it is a mental health problem. And I mean, you know, there's lots of reasons behind that. As a programme leader, so um, I do see more a lot of students um, who have mental health issues. And I mean, to be fair, I wouldn't... Some of them are um, black and from black and minority ethnic groups, but then at the same time, some of them aren't. You know, some of them are also kind of like white working class groups. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it reflects. It, I'd say it kind of reflects broader society. But then, to a certain extent, I do see this. But I mean, I think within the university, what we tend to do, I think with people, well, I know that I'm very mindful of these things. And I would suggest a different route. I mean, I'm not automatically going to suggest to someone that, look, you know, you should get sectioned because it's not really within my remit to be able to do that. But, you know, I might say to someone, look, would, have you considered counselling? Because, you know, this is a lot for you to be going mm -hmm. through. And, you know, like some, some cases, they don't they don't consider counselling because, you know, they see it as a weakness or, you know, because of the way that mental health has been constructed um, amongst us, because like it's often said within, you know, some black and minority ethnic communities that mental health is a stigma. But actually, it's it a lot of the case. It's just by stress. It is because of stress that it mm. happens. But, you know, I will just kind of say to them that, look, have you considered counselling? You know, this is what it can do. You know, they're not going to say there's no shame about it, you know, and then that's kind of how I deal with it. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so I guess you're playing as a personal tutor. Um, I think, you're, yeah. you know, you're playing a really important role in being able to signpost mm. students to those services, which they might not be aware of or, 
or like you say, there is that kind of um, stigma about asking for help or um, or I think mm. even the word counselling has quite a lot of stigma attached to it mm. sometimes. No, it does. It does. Because, I mean, I, I can remember sort of growing up and stuff and, you know, it was it, it wasn't something that was mentioned. I mean, you know, I, I remember when I was at college and I was sort of stressed with my A-levels and stuff. And sometimes when you're stressed, it makes it feel like everything else. And then, you know, I I went to seek it out for myself and stuff, but I didn't tell anybody that I was doing it because I, I, I knew what the response might be because like you know and the thing is there's nothing wrong with it as they say I think it's one in four people experience some form of like you know uh, depression Mm. sometimes stress doesn't necessarily go there but like you know you do need help in terms of how you manage it but it's not always something that is kind of talked it's changing now it's getting Mm. better but you know like it's not always something that is is welcomed or or discussed yeah and I feel like um I don't know if you'd agree with this I feel like sometimes there's um there's an impression that uh counseling or or speaking to someone or even for example um calling Samaritans is is a Mm. sort of a last resort and it's sort of something that you do in a point of crisis when actually yes I think what's really important is trying to remember that actually what's better is to sort of um to, to try and talk to somebody before then and you know and things don't have to be at a crisis point in order to kind of seek out help. Yeah, no, I I absolutely agree because, I mean, I think there is always this thing that, you know, you have to manage, you have to manage. And I suppose, like, you know, for us, you know, for black people or for, for people from other, or Asian or from other, but not all, but, you know, there is a general thing because in a way we're dealing with a lot of stuff that goes on in society. So structural racism, and then, you know, you intersect it with classism, gender, you know, gender discrimination, all of those things. So these things will sort of like, you know, get to you. And then, you know, somebody might experience something and they don't know what to do. They don't know how to, you know, they don't know how to express it or if they talk to a friend or a family member about it and stuff, and it, you know, it's just one of those ones where they might be told to just get on with it. They mm. try to get on with it and then things aren't going very well. And then, you know, it, it, for some people, they will sort of like see Samaritans or counselling as a very last resort. Or there'll be some people that just won't say anything at all and just carry on going, you know. I mean, in my case, what what tends to happen is that students, you know, sometimes I might end up just having a conversation with students. And it's just, you know, it could be just an everyday thing. Like, um, uh, I don't know, like, you know, they might just come to my office and just knock and they're talking about work. And then suddenly, you know, you ask, okay, how are you? How are things, you know, are you? And then things come out. You know, things come out and then this is where, you know, I don't have to say, okay. I mean, I'm not going to just turn around and just say, like, you know, just go to counselling. I'm going to listen first and stuff and then, you know, try to get them the help. But sometimes, again, you know, like in those conversations, people don't think that counselling is an option, you know. Definitely. Yeah. Right. So when I was doing some research for this episode, um, Mm. I was really shocked to find out that in Britain, black people are Mm. four times as likely to be detained under the Mental Health Act than Mm. white people um, and are arrested under Section 136 of the Act twice as often. Now, just to give a bit Mm. of background, um, Section 136 of the Mental Health Act means that the police have the power to take you to a place of safety or keep you in a place of safety. 
But what's mm-hmm. really important is that this is based on a subjective assessment of whether you pose a risk. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the mental health charity Mind has suggested that stereotypes of black people and men especially as being dangerous are working at a subconscious level on decision makers at that point of sectioning. So, Louise, you mentioned structural racism, and this this seems mm-hmm. like an example of institutional racism. Yeah, it is. You know, it's interesting. Um, one of the things I kind of teach in my sociology courses is this idea about like, you know, macro level structures. And so that is sort of like institutional structures and then how it can kind of like trickle down to sort of like the meso level within the community and then down to the individual. Now, you know, if we look at kind of like institutional racism, this is something that has been happening for generations you know generations I mean right through to slavery and you know colonialism and and one of the justifications for colonialism was that you know as black people um you know we don't have any intelligence you know we're uncivilized we're violent um all these kind of things and particular or like sexualized and this is you know it's all of us but it's also particularly black men so I think that these ideas have kind of like con- continued through the generations and stuff. And it's again, it's seeped through to the to the institutional level, because I mean, let's just take, for instance, the schools. So, you know, I, I used to one of one job that I used to do is I used to work with kids who were getting excluded from school. And, you know, um, you, overwhelmingly, you would see that it's young black males because they're seen as kind of like, you know, well, um, a dangerous and, you know, more likely to get into fights and all this that, and the other. So, you know, that is that perception. Teachers are kind of like getting the idea that, you know, they're hypersexualized, they're, they're violent and all this that, and the other. Then it carries on sort of like to the next level. So policing. So again, you know, like this is a justified way of kind of like targeting for them for stop and search or whatever, if they resist or whatever like that. And then this is when, you know, they are more likely to be kind of like, you know, treated very, very badly in the police cells or maybe even just kind of like, you know, sent on to mental health. And the thing is, what what I question, I don't know much about the police force, but have these people had mental health training to be able to know when someone is showing signs I mean do they not necessarily think that okay well if you're being sort of like pinned roughly or like you know you're being stopped for something that you haven't necessarily you know you haven't done anything you're being stopped unnecessarily um you know like do you people will resist but then you know like why would you automatically assume that you know they've got a mental health problem because of that I mean any normal person is going to resist but because I believe that people have these ideas of black men or black people generally this is what they do and then their go-to reaction is just to deal with them in those particular Mm. ways yeah I mean um just thinking of what you mentioned a minute ago about how Mm. um how these ideas are kind of rooted in um you know the history of Mm. colonialism um so it it kind of seems like race and race is kind of intertwined with the history of mental health and has and those yeah. ideas those those racist ideas and those the kind of scientific racism that that was used to kind of justify yeah. colonialism is mm-hmm. is still mm-hmm. kind of um influencing decisions that are being made today even at a time when we when lots of people would say well, no we don't live in a racist society those ideas are permeating yeah. through still no, 
absolutely. And as I say, in every single institution. So, you know, like it will be with the police. I mean, it will be within the education system. It will be in the criminal justice system, you know, in the healthcare and stuff like that. It does permeate through because, I mean, if you think about it, these, these ideas are historical. They're rooted in the structures. And then like, you know, they're repossessed. I mean, it'll be coming through the media. I mean, they'll turn, they'll try to use, you know, little lang language that, it, overt, it may not seem like it is overtly, but then when you actually dig down, that is what it is. Do you know what I mean? And then hearing that constantly, and then it's just coming through all these different structures. Of course, people are going to internalize it. And, you know, the thing, what when people say, oh, well, society is not racist or anything like that, sometimes this is the people that don't, ex that don't experience it. So they wouldn't know. Or, you know, or maybe they just don't understand the historical aspect of it. But I mean, I don't think we can say that. I mean, if we look at what happened to George Floyd, do you know what I mean? I mean, you cannot say that. I mean, race in America is a very, it, I don't want to say it's different to here. I mean, because it's there and it's here as well. But I mean, the fact that that can happen or, you know, what happened with um Oh, there was a case in Lewisham and it was actually on my birthday where, again, the, there were seven police people just kind of like sat on top of this girl. Um, you know, you can't say that it's not there, you know. So I think this idea that somehow we're violent and it's seeped into, you know, the minds of, of, of you know, institutions or whatever, it does have a, have a bearing mm -hmm on the way that, you know, we're responded to and the way that we're treated and stuff. And, you know, if there's a perception that we're treated as we are violent, then this is the way that, unfortunately, we're going to get treated. Mm. And so so there's kind of um, there's kind of a whole other side to the racialization of mental health, yeah. isn't there? So we've got, on the one mm -hmm. hand, these racial stereotypes mm. are influencing decisions being made by police and by some mental health professionals. Yeah. But on the other hand, Absolutely. we've got mental health services not tending to actively confront the actual impact of racism on the well-being of black people. Um, no. So according to the charity Mind, um, up until the age mm. of 11, boys who are black have mm. quite similar mental mm. health experiences to other groups. But by the time they've reached mm -hmm. adulthood, the picture looks really different. And so there's an yeah. argument that says that as these these young black people grow up and begin to engage mm -hmm. more fully with social institutions with whether that's police mm -hmm. or higher education and as their kind of mm -hmm. maturing self-awareness leads to to mm -hmm. a greater insight into their own experience of discrimination that that structural mm -hmm. racism is actually impacting their mental mm -hmm. health so it kind of seems like a vicious circle yeah 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 I mean, it, it is, it is, because, I mean, again, you know, just as it has a bearing on the way that, you know, like institutions treat people and individuals treat, you know, black people. I mean, it is, you know, people are aware, and it, in, this is what I was saying before, because it's, it's, it's very, how can I say it? You are very, very aware of it. And the thing is, sometimes it's not, it doesn't even have to be, um, like you know, on a micro, le a macro level, aggression, like you know, being treated violently, knowing that there's a very, there's a great likelihood of that happening. But sometimes it's those mi micro aggressions as well, you know. So you know, you're very aware of these things in society, and everybody kind of like deals with them 
a bit di- everyone deals with them differently and stuff like that but this is the sort of thing I mean and, and you know imagine I was talking to um, my nephew's here with me at the moment my youngest nephew but you know we we were talking about um what happened to George Floyd and everything and he was he just kind of like casually said that you know this could this could if I was in America that could have been me and the thing is it like it was just the way that he said it so casually and, you know, it, it actually really, really saddened me because I was just thinking to myself, well, wow, you know, like this is something that as a black male, you know, like you have to live with. Mm-hmm. And for some people, you know, it, and it's a lot, it's a lot to have to contend with knowing that actually your life could be on the line just because of who you are. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And I think sometimes if you haven't got, you know, like, you, you know, you can have a network around you, but it, it sometimes people every it just depends on the individual about how they kind of like you know re, not I don't want to say respond to it but it affects people differently but it affects everybody you know it really does affect everyone yeah so yeah yes yeah, so it's kind of what you're saying there's kind of the there's the the microaggressions those kind of daily um mm. those daily experiences but but then yeah like you say mm. there's like this kind of enormous weight almost of just knowing that if you if you were the same person and you know just lived in a different country mm. I mean that's yeah. that's you know uh in terms of your mental health that's like a huge weight to be carrying around and you know living your life with yeah no it, re- it really is or even just having to change your behavior because I mean I remember again like he was here because when this was actually you know around the time we had that same conversation so he was here um and then his older brother, because his older brother lives up at New Cross, and he, you know, he was just saying that, oh, like, you know, he was ringing him, ringing him, ringing him, and saying, look, you know, you need to, you need to start coming back now because the police are out in New Cross, and this is southeast London, so, you know, you do see a lot, an awful lot of police, and particularly up in New Cross. So yeah, you know, like I had to, I had to walk him back. So it's almost like, you know, not just knowing. But it's almost like, you know, you know that you've got to kind of like mind your behavior. And again, that takes its toll on people. And sometimes even if you mind your behavior, it doesn't make any Mm. difference. Excuse me. Sorry about that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, yeah, as you're saying, um, yeah, even if you're just having to make that those daily efforts to, I suppose, be aware of those things that that if you're white in our society, you're not. you know, you that that for example, I'm not having to think about. Um, so just before we wrap things up, mm. um, I was wondering if you had mm. um one top tip for staying mentally well, um, that that you could um share with our listeners. So this um is going to be like a regular feature um of the of the yeah. podcast. Um, and I was just thinking with um. Uh, with everything that's going on at the moment in the world it feels like a even more of a valuable thing to just kind of be sharing those um those top tips um so I just wondered if you had anything yeah I mean I think you you're very right because you know what is going on in the world and you know you talk about we're talking about um you know, what's happening to black people. And I do know, I mean, you know, I remember like amongst ourselves, you know, my myself and a couple of friends and stuff like that. And we were all saying that we just feel tired. You know, we, we feel really, really tired. And, you know, with everything that's been going on. Um, I, th- I mean, I think the thing that we... Um, I, I, I would say sometimes you know like you need a bit of a detox from social media 
So, you know, I'm not saying don't keep ahead of what's 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 going on or anything like that. But, you know, some of the things that do fly around on social media, we it, whether we like it or not, you know, we do kind of like imbibe an awful lot of it. And then you've got more of it coming on the news and stuff. And that means that you've got too much information. So I think for me, sometimes it's just it's good to have like a social media detox, you know, recalibrate your brain and then, you know, d- then you know just come back to dealing with the world yeah definitely and that's something that I yeah I've um done that a couple of times over the sort of lockdown period Mm. and as you say sometimes Mm. when I think when we're you know we live in a world where we have 24-hour news channels um you know people are sharing news on social media you've got you know we're Mm. we have almost too much at our fingertips sometimes and I think sometimes that can be really overwhelming it can. I mean, because I was even just saying this to my friend the other day, because when the news, co- you keep hearing these pings because the news is coming through your phone. Or so, I mean, you know, even now we haven't got the television on because it's just like, I don't, I, I you know, I need to kind of like have a bit of a clear head because it is just way too much. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I sound like an, you know, I sound, re- well, I am, I'm 45, so I'm not a young woman. But, um, you know, when I, when I was growing up, we only had like four, at one point, there was only three channels, ITV, BBC, and um, uh, yeah, BBC One, BBC Two, and then ITV. And then we had Channel Four, that came when I was seven. But you know, it, in a lot of ways, it was easier because like the mute, the, the, after a certain point, you know, like there was no more television in the night and everything. Yeah. And then like, you know, we got Channel 5 in 1997 and whatnot. But like there weren't too many things to be watching. You know, you were outside, you were doing your doing your bits and bobs and everything. But like now it does feel like there's just like we're oversaturated with information. So, you know, sometimes we've just got to step back from it for our own sanity. Yeah, definitely. And it feels like, um, particularly for any students listening, it feels like the the holidays is a really good time to do that as well. Um, you know, kind of yeah. before the start of the new school year, when obviously you want to be switched on to everything, you want to know what's going on. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, and the thing is, I'd, I'd say that this is this is uh, you know this is for every year because you know like first years that are coming up and everything, they would I I, I pity because. I think one of the things that kind of doesn't help mental health for young people generally as well is like social media and like, you know, we, you know that you've got the exam results coming through because last year I did a little shifty on um, on Twitter and there were loads and loads and loads of memes going around about people, what's going to happen on their results day and everything like that. And I just think to myself, God, when I had results day, I, I mean, to be fair, I nearly crashed the car, but that's another story in itself. Um, but, you know, all we had was the television and then like, you know, okay, okay it doesn't help on the news are just saying that you know like not enough people are get a levels are getting easy it's not good to hear that but you know like I know that I didn't have it constantly just kind of like at me with the memes and the worry and stuff like that so you've got that on Twitter you've got it on Instagram you've got it on Facebook and everything like that it's too much information so you know for first years coming up you know like it'll be really good for them to have a detox and not to be looking at these things because they'll be stressed and this year it's another level of stress given everything that's been going on and then like you know first years going to the second year because the degree starts to count so again if everybody's on social media talking about what grades they got that doesn't help and then you know second to the third year it's the same thing so I just think have a detox yeah yeah definitely because there's um there's that kind of you can't help but compare if you know with no. even if, if your friends or you know people from your class are sharing the results you can't help but even if you you know because you might have been pleased with what you got and then you go on mm-hmm. to um 
you know, you go on social media and you see that someone else has got higher than you, like, you know, yeah, and then yeah. it might completely, you might feel quite deflated after that when really, you know, um, you know, you should still definitely be, be proud of what you got, but it, you can't help but compare. Exactly. Yeah. And that doesn't help your mental health. I mean, I saw a very good example of that on LinkedIn the other day because, you know, so students have done brilliantly, you know, like they've been getting their first, lots of people are getting first, which is, uh, for me as a lecturer, I think that's very heartening because, you know, everybody's working really hard and they're stepping up the game. So, you know, more students are getting first than I did. And I don't subscribe to this idea that it's because the degree is getting easier. No, that's not what it is. You know, like the game is just stepping up and people are working hard. But like, you know, by people again telling people that, oh, like it's it, it's getting easier. That's not good for people's mental health because it's undermining their attainment. But on LinkedIn, I saw this um, a post about a guy that got a 2-1 and he just said that, oh, you know, with all the posts about people getting first and everything like that, it basically he felt that his results were rubbish. And I just thought, wow, you know, like, you know, how, how that must that make you feel? But actually getting a 2-1 is very good. I got a 2-1, you know, I, I got a 2-1 and I'm really still happy with that. So, you know, but again, you know, this pressure to compete and this pressure to get X, Y, Z grade, that doesn't help people. And it doesn't just start at university. It start, it's throughout education. And again, you know, like as a program leader, this is why I'm seeing so many people come through with anxiety. It's that too. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, what you just said about that, um, that post on LinkedIn, I mean, that re- I can really relate mm. to that. So, I, um, so I'm mm. in my second year going into my third year. And uh, but mm. this is, isn't my first time at university. I'm 25 mm. and I went, to, I went to a different university when I came out of school and I dropped out okay. in my second year. Yeah. So for me, right. graduating is, you know, something to be proud of, mm. you know, graduating at all, you know, yeah. and being able to say, well, I'm mm. a third year. You know, that for me is, mm. um, you know, something to be proud of. And so, you know, yeah. it's, all, it's all kind of relative, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, you know, it, 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 it's, and also I think sometimes it doesn't matter, again, with the way that the education system is, it just kind of, or not, it's not even just the education system, it's society saying that, you know, putting these milestones, saying that, you know, you should have done this by this and you should have done this by that. But actually, you know, people do things, I mean, if, if, if you're at a university and it's not working out for you, I don't think you should stay there because that's not going to help your mental health either I mean I started my PhD when I was 30 and I started it in in, an institution which I won't name it just wasn't for me so I left you know I left and then I had to start I started all over again when I came here to Greenwich and it was the best thing I'd ever done because I saw a lot of my friends who were still at that institution either not finishing they were on antidepressants or you know it, it was taking like you know one of my friends it took him 12 years to finish so, you know, I think sometimes you have to do things against your own milestones. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah, I completely yeah. agree with that. And, and I definitely second that thing about, um, you know, fight if, if a university is, if, you know, isn't for you, then that's completely okay. Yes, yes. So, I mean, I think that's exactly right. And I think that, I mean, and the thing is, it's not even just the institution. I mean, I think if, if it's just university full stop, that it's not right if it's not working for you and stuff. I mean, and it's not what you want to do, then I think that's fine. I mean, it's funny because um, I'm part of a network, um, you know, and I was talking to, well, even in my own research, I mean, I've found instances where people are doing um, university courses 
and or doing subjects that they really don't want to do and they don't they I don't know they're just not engaged in it and it's almost like they've been forced to do it and stuff I mean and realistically they wouldn't have even gone to university at all and then like you know again this has impacted on their mental health or they've just quit because um you know they've just quit without telling their family so I think sometimes there's pressure as well but I mean I think it's hard it's really really hard but sometimes I think it's good not to if if you you know if you can resist that pressure and do what's best for you yeah definitely and I feel like um particularly um some quite a lot of schools put a lot of pressure on um, yeah. on students going to university and it's almost an expectation that you know why of course you would go to university when you leave um yeah. and and you're right it's right path for everyone and and I mean even uh, I I feel like the time that I had in the workplace um, yeah. you know my in my early 20s helped me really understand what I actually wanted to study and why exactly. I wanted to study so yeah. and I think that makes a big difference you know um you know knowing that you are doing it because you want to be doing it yeah exactly that's exactly right I mean I remember when I'd finished my master's degree and you know because I always took I always took time out before I studied so I did my undergraduate and then I did you know I did my um my master's degree and I did it so I took two years out and then you know like my dad kind of said to me after I'd finished my master and like I, I wasn't in a good place I mean I was broke and I was tired and stuff and I didn't have the mental capacity to undertake any more education at that time. I mean, I always knew I was going to come back, but, you know, it, I just couldn't do it then. But it was just like, oh, well, aren't you going to go straight and do your doctorate? And I said, no, I can't because I can't afford it. And, um, I'm, I, you know, I'm just not ready to do this at the moment and stuff like that. And it didn't go down very well. But I just know that if, I, if I'd have just kind of gone on straight and done it, it would have impacted on my mental health or I maybe just wouldn't have finished it. I mean, I have friends who, I mean, I'm just thinking of one friend in particular, when we finished our undergraduate, she went straight on and did her master's and then she went on and did her, she went on and did her doctorate and, you know, it took her a very long time to finish. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely makes sense. I mean, a doctorate in particular, obviously there's, I can't even imagine the the kind of pressure and the stress that that comes with that. So yeah. you're right. You and need you need to be in the right um, kind of headspace, I suppose. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you do. I think you have to be in the right headspace. You have to have a. I mean, personally, I think it's not a bad idea to go out, to go out and work because the motivation is different. You know, the experience is different. I mean, you want you're ready to come back. You're ready to rumble and stuff. But I think sometimes. Uh, but I think you know, given what's going, given the state of the economy and everything at the moment I think people feel like they've got no choice because otherwise if they go if they don't go to university what else are they going to do but I think it's just worth people just kind of scoping out and seeing what's out there for them to be able to do yeah definitely yeah, yeah. So, well thank you so much Louise for joining me today um, that's no problem that's our, no problem. it's been our first ever episode and I think you'll agree it's been a feels like it's been a roaring success Oh, thank um, you. Thank you. I mean, it's good. And thank you very again. Thanks ever so much for asking me because, you know, this is an issue that is quite close to my heart, you know, not not obviously through my experience as a program leader, but just observations of sort of growing up in an African community where these things are just not talked about. 
yeah definitely well hopefully um hopefully people are gonna listen to this podcast yeah. and and hopefully um kind of simulate some conversations with um with friends and family and um mm-hmm. you know um just opening up those conversations which is what we're trying to do okay yeah absolutely absolutely so but thank you this is really great work on your behalf so thank you very much for that well thank you that's no problem whatsoever no problem Thank you for listening to Greenwich Mind Time. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends, help us get the word out on social media, and of course, keep an eye out for the next episode. If you're a University of Greenwich student, you can find out more about Mind Society at greenwichsu.co.uk forward slash societies forward slash UG Mind Society.